0: You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at CBCSavannah.com. One more quick uh, announcement: Pack Savannah is a local ministry that we support. They feed like four hundred, they do like four hundred forty-five hundred meals a week, or something like that, in Savannah. And next week, uh, we are going to help with that, and so we are asking you to bring macaroni and cheese. Boxes of mac and cheese. Uh, We're going to have a van here. We're going to pack that van up. And so I thoroughly expect that the city of Savannah will be in a shortage of mac and cheese next week. So uh, if everyone brings five or six boxes at like five bucks, six bucks, uh, just craft is fine. If you want to get all fancy, get all fancy, go get, but just don't buy that rice stuff. That's not real mac and cheese. That rice macaroni, that ain't macaroni, gluten, whatever. Don't buy that. That's not, that's evil stuff. Buy the real stuff. All chemicals, all good for you. Bring that next week. We're gonna pack that van uh, and, and, and feed some folks. But so be an opportunity for us just to reach out in a real practical way. So the van will be outside next week. We wanna pack it up. Um, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 11. If you have a Bible. Um, we have been working our way through this book and we are in chapter 11. If you're a guest of ours, then what we do on a Sunday is we open a book of the Bible and we study our way through it. And so we found ourselves in chapter 11. Again, second week. I told y'all you before you're, this is not new. I'm, I'm a, Kind of a movie guy, and I, I truly believe that Tom Cruise is the greatest actor of all time. I just, you can't convince me otherwise. Whether it's Top Gun, whether it's Maverick, whether it's The Last Samurai, whether it's A Few Good Men, Edge of Tomorrow, Where the World's Outsiders, Minority Report, even Days of Thunder—yes, is a great movie. If you're familiar with it, it's, it's Top Gun in a race car. Uh, but probably he's best known or well known for his Mission Impossible movies, right? If you're, if you're familiar with these based on the old TV show. It's a great movie, great show, horrible name. And here's why. Uh, they're on like the seventh mission impossible. By nature, the definition of impossible means there should have been one movie, they should have all died and it's over because it's an impossible mission. But somehow they've, met, they've beat the impossible seven times and they're waiting for the eighth mission impossible this summer, which I will be there to see that one. But it's just a bad name. It should be a better name would be like mission really hard or mission difficult, but not impossible, something like that. But it's not. It's mission impossible. We saw last week, if you're with us, an impossible mission. God's word gave us an impossible mission. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's, it is an impossible mission for you to try to please and honor God apart from faith. It doesn't say without faith, it's really difficult. Without faith, it's, it's challenging, but you can do it. No, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But the flip side is this. Here's the good news. It is possible to please God with faith, right? That we are actually told that we are to walk by faith. And he has given us Numerous examples already in chapter 11 of men and women who were not perfect and were kind of a train wreck, but they pleased God. They had the possible mission. They pleased God because they walked by faith. And we looked at several examples. One of them had such a close relationship with God that God just took him him to heaven. One of them in the face of uncertainty and not knowing what's going to happen, he trusts God and he steps out of faith. One of them being distinct from the rest of the world, builds a boat, not even knowing what a boat is, walks by faith. One of them had just enough faith, just enough faith to conceive at 90 years old. Not a great faith, just a little faith. Some walked as exiles in this land because of faith. And we saw example after example, and we're going to see more today. But I want to take a little bit different angle today because we're going to see numerous examples. I want to look at different types of faith that will be required of us if we're gonna have the possible mission in our lives and different seasons. Some of these will be, this season will be this and this season will be this, but different types of faith that are required of us if we're gonna please God. And we're gonna see numerous examples, actually seven different types. And again, it's not like, oh, if you don't have this one, I just, these are types of faith that you, that need to be present in your life at some point. And that will be if you're doing the possible mission, if you are living a life that pleases God. So we're gonna cover verses 17 through 31 And what we looked at last week before, just a working definition of faith. Remember, faith begins with God. He's the one who gives us faith. He also, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There is no faith apart from hearing God's revealed truth, God's revealed word. So that's imperative. That's the first part of faith. Second part of faith is it's rooted in discontentment, that there has to be actually a a hope for something greater than this that this is not the the bee's knees, that there's something greater that I'm putting my hope in. And, And then finally, faith, it's required that it's unseen, not seen. If I see it, it's not faith. It's gotta be unseen. And we're gonna see that continued as we jump into our text. So let's look at our first guy in verse 17. By faith, Abraham. And we looked at Abraham last week, we'll look at him again. When he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figurative he's speaking, he did, he did receive him back. So we've seen Abraham last week, and, and here's another example of his faith. Now, understand, Abraham had a lot of times in his life where he had zero faith. Like he lacked faith. In fact, two times, on two occasions, he went into a new place and his wife, Sarah, was, she, was, she was real haughty. And so he would get scared every time he'd go to a new place that, that they would kill him and take his wife. So he would lie and say, she's my sister. And they did take his wife because he was scared because he had no faith and God had to rescue both times. But this, this story that he tells here is really the apex of the, of the high point of the faith of Abraham in his life. And, and here's the first type of faith that is required of us to please God. And it's going to be part of your story, right? It's a tested faith, a faith that is tested. Again, the text says, by faith, Abraham, when he was what? Tested, when he was tested. Now, what is the purpose of a test? Think about it. A test, all it does is reveal, whether you know your spelling words or not. Whether you studied your chemistry or not. What you, a medical test, whether there is some kind of cancer, some kind of this, broken bone, it just what? It just reveals, right? That's what a test does. And the test, the spiritual test is not for God. to. Oh, I, I really need to know what Bill is like. God knows all things. He's sovereign. He, he gets it already. So he's not being informed or thing. A spiritual test is not for God. It is for who? It's for you. It's for you. Right? That's important because you will be, your faith will be tested. It is to reveal to you what's there. So it's like this. Remember when you're in high school and college? Back in the day, I don't, they don't do this anymore. I don't know why because I think our country is lost. But uh, they used to send report cards to parents. Like, so when I went off to Citadel and I came home, I was just checking the mail every day for that report card to come because, I, you know, why? Because it was addressed to Mr. The parents of William Fowler, right? Why? Because the parents of William Fowler paid the bills. So when I got that report card, it was revealing, not to me, but to my dad, who was sending the money, how Bill was doing, right? And then there would be repercussions for that, okay? But here's the amazing thing. When I went off to seminary, and I was 20, whatever, nine, eight years old, um, they sent the report card to me because I was paying the bills. And so it was a beautiful thing because I didn't really care. It said C, I was like, C for complete, C for calm, C for dunzo, I don't care. I'm paying the bills, there's no guilt. I'm not grounding myself, I'm happy. Right, the test, the report card was for me and I didn't care. But that was revealing to me about me. God will send tests to your life to reveal to yourself, what do you really believe? What do you really love? And a test, not only does it reveal; it's 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 supposed to make you stronger. This is why the half brother of Jesus, James, says what that they were to consider joy when we encounter trials. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And what has this author been trying to get the writer to these Hebrews to do? Have endurance. to not quit, to not go back. And so this test that came to Abraham was the test of tests. So he was promised that he would have a son and that through that son, uh, all the nations will be blessed. That through that son, there will be kings that come through his, that son. That there will, be, there will be so many descendants through that son that, that you couldn't count them so more than the stars in the sky. And it took 25 years for God's promise to come through, but he does. And he has a little boy. His name is Isaac. And then when Isaac grows up, He's a late teen, early 20s, most commentators suggest. God shows up one day and says, I want you to take your son. And the text says, your only son. The one you love. And I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. Right? That's the test. And Abraham doesn't bat an eye. He says, all right, boys, pack it up. Get the donkeys. And he gets all his men and he takes his son and they head to the mountain, which God says. And and at the bottom of the mountain... Genesis 22, he says to his men, stay here with the donkeys. I and the boy will go over there and we are both going to worship and we are going to come again to you. And this is not him blowing smoke saying, I got I to need an alibi because I'm going to come back alone. No, he truly believes that him and Isaac are going to go up that mountain and then are going to worship. And then him and Isaac are going to come back down together. And so they do, they go up, they go on the top of the mountain, he puts the wood on his son's back, he lays him on the altar, he picks up the knife and and the Greek text there, he says he's in the act of, he's about to plunge the sword and God stops him and provides a sacrifice for him. They both worship and they come back. You say, how in the world could he do that? I mean, really, how in the world could Abraham do that? Genesis doesn't ultimately tell us, but the writer to Hebrews does, that he considered this Greek word, we got our English word logic from it. He reckoned, he thought about it. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. And now think about that statement, how radical that is, that he, he thought, well, here's his logic, it's, it's a logical thought process. He says, okay, here's the deal. God promised me that through this son, I'm gonna have multiple heirs. God promised me through this son, all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed. God promised that kings would come from him. So that's what God has said. That's, that's the truth that's out there. So if I kill him, there's only one possibility. God has to raise him from the dead because he has to do all these things that he said. So the only option is I kill him and God brings him back from the dead, which by the way, had not ever happened up to that point in the Bible. And remember, there is no Bible at this point. Anyway, so what I want you to think is how radical is is Abraham's faith here? Why has he passed the test with flying colors? I mean, this is A plus. This is like, remember the Christmas story? A plus, plus, plus. This is A plus on the test. Why? Because whatever it was for him, it's gonna have to be for us. Two things about him I want you to get. Number one, he believed in the absolute truth of what God says. And number two, he believed in the absolute power of God to fulfill his promises. That his God is a mighty and powerful God that can come through on his promises. Why? What is it that makes him believe? God has to do it because he said it. There's no other way. And not only does he have to do it, he is able to do it because he's got to. You wanna pass the tests in your life That's where it's got to be because you will be tested. There's going to be things that show up. And here's the thing about tests. They're never fun. No one likes a test. If you like a test, you are not welcome here. (laughs) No one likes a test. Number two, they're almost always pop quizzes tests. They're never like, okay, just so you know, next week. No one wants them. And you never know they're coming, but they happen. And what, what, the only way to, to work through these things is to know that I have a God who speaks truth and I can trust in his truth, and he is a God that can come through on his promise. That's the only way, right? That's the only way. And if, look, we got a bunch of engineers in here, and we love you all. We're thankful that you build things and make things. We really are. But if you, if you always want things to be logical, you're going to really have a hard time sometimes in the test, because it makes no sense for God to say, kill the Son that I promised you. It doesn't make no sense. But see, here's the thing. In the kingdom, things never make sense. The world says, Hey, get as much as you can, however you can, now, 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 live to now, live for today. Because today we tomorrow we die, right? That's what the world says. Where Jesus says, No, 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 seek first the kingdom and it's righteousness. All these things, they'll be added to you. That's completely the opposite. The world says, "Be important, be liked, be authoritative, get get followers, get get out there, get your name out there." Jesus says, "The greatest is the servant, the insignificant." The world says, "Get even, get back, get vengeance is yours." Jesus says, "No, no, forgive. How many times? Seventy times seven. Release, forgive. Go, if your enemy gives you a right, hits your right cheek, hit him left." That, that's what you, it's completely opposite. So I get that it's challenging, but that's why you have to have a God who keeps his promises and a God who is able to, to come through and has the power to do it. And this is why I've told you, and I'm trying to encourage us and I want us to be people of the word. And this is one of our core values. Our first core value is scripture memory. Y'all is, it's not an option. It's just really not. Because if you, when you face the test, if you have nothing in your spiritual arsenal, what are you going to rely on? Right? Where are you going to go? Where does Abraham go when God gives him this test? He goes back to the word, the promises, God said this, God said this, God said this, must be. And you need that, y'all. I mean, I'm not saying you have to memorize the book of Galatians, but a verse here that's about this and a verse there, cast all my anxiety on him because he cares for me. It's a great one for some of us. Seek first the kingdom for some of you who are struggling, whatever. I've been memorizing the end of, a, of the book of Habakkuk. And it's, it's a great little book, found great encouragement where Habakkuk wrestles with God's will. And in the end, he says, look, if the fig tree does not blossom, there's no fruit on the vine. The produce of the olive fails. There's no food in the, in the field. The sheep aren't in the barns. He said, yet I will praise. I will rejoice in the Lord. The, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He, he will take me to the high places. I, and, and I've been finding great encouragement in that. You need that. That's the only verse you got in your arsenal is Jesus wept. I mean, we, we, got, we gotta be people of the word because you, if you're, you're gonna be tested. And if, if you're tested, you gotta have a God who is powerful and a God who keeps his promises. That's where I gotta go. I just gotta go there. That's the first thing, a tested faith. It pleases God. It's the, it's the possible mission. Let's look at the next one. By faith, Isaac invokes future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And I've lumped these three together because kind of big idea here, what we all need, what pleases God, what is the possible mission is a dying faith. And I'm not talking about a faith that's dying. I mean, a faith in the face of dying, a faith in in the face of death. And I'm not trying to be morbid here. I'm really not. But the reality is this, unless Jesus comes back, the death rate in our church will be 100%. It just will. Elijah and Enoch, two Old Testament dudes. They're the only ones that got out of it. All right? And so what we want to be is people who, these all three of these guys, these are patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they have all sorts of issues. But at the end, they're trusting in God. And this, this is not like they walked by faith and did great things. No, they just were faithful to the end. So Isaac is blessing Jacob and Esau, his two sons. And there's a mess, that's a messy story. You can go read it in Genesis where this one fools this one and there's all sorts of, but in the end, Isaac's like, you know what. God's gonna do what God's gonna do. And he blesses his two boys, Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob, who was a knucklehead when he was younger, but he kind of learns his lesson when he's older. His name is changed to Israel. He, at the end of his life, he's worshiping on his staff or bed. Some of your translations say, we don't know exactly which one, but he can barely stand is the point, but he's still worshiping. And he's blessing Joseph's two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh's the older, Ephraim is the younger. And he takes his right hand, which should have gone on the older, and he puts it on the left and he crosses over which is not normal. And Joseph's like, dad, you got it wrong. He's like, I don't got it wrong. Trust me. They're both gonna be great, but Ephraim's gonna be greater. And he's trusting that God's gonna do something, even though they never see it. And then Joseph, we looked at his story a couple years ago. I mean, he did some amazing things. And it's amazing to me that what he gets honored for here is at the end of his life, he made mention of the Exodus and he gave instructions concerning his bones. He basically says, y'all, y'all going back to the land, don't let them put me in a pyramid because he would have gone in a pyramid. Right, he was a big wig. He would have got his own pyramid. Maybe the Sphinx would have been him, I don't know. But he says, don't leave my bones here. Take them back with you. You're going to the land. How did he know that? Because in Genesis 15, God told Abraham, you're going to the land. It's gonna be 400 years. So he says, take my bones. Guess what they did? They took his bones. They all finished well, believing to the end. Right, And, and I've seen a lot of Christians who have finished awesome. And I've seen a lot of grumpy dudes at the end of their life, and they're just grumpy, and we wish they would have been taken home earlier. And I'll tell you, I don't want to be that guy, honestly. I don't want to be that, if God tarries and, and he allows me, I don't want to be a 75-year-old angry preacher guy. I've seen him. It's not, it's not attractive. I want to I finish well. I want to be trusting in the promises, even at the end. Again, the promises are what matters here, again, that I am the resurrection of life. Whoever dies, he will live, What if he believes in me. Right? These are the things you cling to right, at the end. That I know that, you know, I was a knucklehead till I was 22 years old, and I'm not much better now. I'm just redeemed. But I know one day, when I take my last breath, I know I will see the Savior, and I will get on my face, and I know that there will, there's no fear of condemnation. Why? Because I know Christ has taken my sin. That doesn't mean I've been perfect. That doesn't mean I don't have sin. Just he took my sin, and I will bow in worship, and I will praise him for cleansing me from all my sin. I am confident of that. That's how you finish well. That's, that's what it looks like. That's what these guys are. They're confident they have a dying faith, right? That they finish well. They, they could, Like Paul could say, I, and I, I want this for all of us. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, this is what Paul says, right? We need a dying faith. We need to be like Wesley who wrote those famous words, no condemnation, now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head and clothed in righteousness. Right? We need that. And, and some of us are closer to that. We don't know when the day is. We need that. We need, to, we need to finish well. It pleases God. And it comes from just trusting his promises. Realizing that to live is Christ. To die is actually, is gain. Do you believe that? Right. That's, that's a dying faith. A testing faith, a dying faith. Next one is a risky faith. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. It's actually not Moses' faith here it's honored to it too. It's his parents, Amram and Jochebed. Great Hebrew names. Please don't name your kid Amram. Just give a kid a break, man. Come on, John. But this, this, this interesting narrative, we don't know all the details we know this, that the Israelites were getting so numerous that Pharaoh said, kill the boys, spare the girls. And so they were. They were killing all the little boys and, and they were sparing all the little girls. And Moses's parents, they hid him for three months. And here's the phrase that's interesting. It said they, be, they said, because they saw the child was beautiful. I don't know what that means. And, and, and any commentator says they do, doesn't really. Because every parent thinks their kid is beautiful. Even the parent, we know your kid's not beautiful, but you think your kid's beautiful. Everybody thinks their kid's a Gerber baby. There's only like one or two Gerber babies, right? So it can't be, it can't just mean, oh, this kid's cute. You know, Aaron, his brother, he was kind of ugly. And Miriam, she's the oldest. She's not really, you know, but but this one's good. We'll keep this one. That's not what it is because everyone was there. The text doesn't say, here's my hypothesis. Can't prove it. Don't, it's not gospel truth, but I, I this is this is my hypothesis. Somehow, some way God revealed to Amram and Jacobed that this child was unique and was the rival to Pharaoh. I don't know how, maybe a dream, I, I, but something about him stood out so that they were like, this is the one. Why? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I'm sure all the, the Hebrew women were trying to hide their babies. I'm sure they weren't like, here you go, here's a boy. No, they all were. So they did something. They, they trusted God and somehow, and after three months, they just couldn't keep poor little Moses quiet anymore. And so they, they trusted God and they, they say, Miriam, we're gonna put this, this baby in a basket and we're gonna put him on the river and we're gonna trust God. And so Miriam takes him down and she kind of pushes him and he just so happens to float over to Pharaoh's daughter and the rest is history. But there was risk there. If they're caught, they're dead. Their baby's dead. There's a riskiness, but they thought it was worth it. And a faith that pleases God is a risky faith. Here's what I would say. I think that, and I'm talking about myself, so just, this is me. I think I pray too safe of prayers. I think I take too little risk. And I'm not talking about being dumb like a teenager and jumping off cliffs and things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I think we take too little risks Spiritual risks because we're scared, because we want to be safe. I think we have a God, I'll do whatever you want up to this point mentality. I'll give what you want, I'll go where you want, but only up to this far. And I think if you're honest, you do the same thing. Right? And, And it reminds me of the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and says, Sir, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Man, keep the commandments. And he's like, I've done those. He's like, yeah, you have. Here's one you've lost. You know, one more thing. Take all your stuff, sell it, and give it away. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. See, there's the unseen piece. There's the God, I can't be satisfied piece. And what does he do? He's sad because he's wealthy and he walks away. See, he's a, I'll do whatever I need to get internal life. Accept that. right? This is that old meatloaf song. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Just came to me. Right, that's all. That's how my weird mind works. I think we do that spiritually, right? I think we do. And I think we got to ask ourselves: if the Holy Spirit shows up or not on a Sunday morning, would it make a difference? Do we need God? And if my life, I can, my life exists, and I don't really need God to show up. I would say that that's not a risky faith and that's not a pleasing faith. God delights when we take him at his word and we, we step out in faith and in places where only he can come through. That's, a, that's, a, that's the kind of faith we need. Not every day, but needs to be in our life. It pleases him. Risky faith, a dying faith, a tested faith. Right, and now we get into Moses. By faith, Moses... So Moses here is, is, and he's talked about a lot, obviously, but here's, here's one thing kind of about his faith. It's a sacrificial faith. You're going to need at some point in your walk, a sacrificial faith, a faith that costs you. I can follow Christ or I can not follow Christ. If I follow Christ, it will cost me. Think about Moses's choice. I, I doubt most of us would take this choice. Let's be honest. He has the choice. I can grow, I can continue to live in the house of the richest, most powerful man in the world or I can go and be with slaves. I can eat what I want, do what I want, treat people how I want, tell people what I want, do whatever I want. I, I this life or the life of a slave. What would you do? Let's be honest. How would you justify staying in Pharaoh's house? I thought about it. I'm like, I could be a secret agent Christian here. I'll be a spy for Jesus in the house of Pharaoh, Lord. That's what I would say. How many of us would say, no, I will not be called Pharaoh's son. I am a Hebrew. And And in turn, I am going to I am going to suffer the reproach of Christ. This idea of Colossians 1, where we're filling up what is is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I would rather suffer for Christ than have the wealth of the world because this is worth it. That is a sacrificial faith, y'all. It just is. It's a faith that brings sacrifice. It is a delayed gratification, not a very common idea. It is a a short-term pain, long-term gain. We don't like it. Young people, single people, this is what it looks like. If you're gonna have a sacrificial faith, that means you are gonna live pure in a world that says, why? Gratify yourself now. Swipe left, swipe right, friends with benefits, whatever. No, a sacrificial faith says, no, I'm gonna do this because it's right and I will trust God that it is worth it in the end. He is honored. That is a sacrificial faith. Some of you are not doing that, if you're honest. You're not. Some of you, your, your your finances are a train wreck, and you're like, God, why don't you do something about this? And He's saying, I'm trying. You will not trust me and start giving off the top. To get this whole deal in order, that's the starting place. But you're just trying to figure it out and do whatever you want. And the starting place is the sacrifice to give off the top. Not because God wants your money, because he wants your heart. And he says, Are you gonna trust me to handle the rest? It takes some sacrifice. It just does. Right? Some of you, your family. Is opposed to your faith. They're not just like, whatever. They're like, no, I didn't send you off to college so you could become a Christian. I sent you there so you can be a lawyer. And now you're going to go do that? No. And they don't want anything to do. You're going to have to choose Jesus or mom. Not all of you have to choose that, but some of you will. Some of you have. That's a sacrifice. Some of you, you've been deeply wounded. Your company has been hurt by that guy's company. And God is saying, I want you to forgive. Why? Because God in Christ has forgiven you. And so you just trust me and you want to go back and you want to do this and you want to sue and you want to do this. He's saying, I want you to trust me. It's going to cost sacrifice and maybe a little bit of do me. Trust me. That's, that's hard. I'm not saying it's not. But that's what God is calling us to do. Sacrificial faith. All right, Christ did it. For the joy set before him, joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And now where is he? He's seated at the right hand. That's what he's asking. Sacrifice now, short-term pain, long-term gain. It, it requires what? God has to reveal himself to you. God, it has to be unseen. I can't see it. And it has to be, I'm not satisfied with this. It's something greater. See how the theme is consistent through, right? Next one, a saving faith. We need a saving faith. By faith, Moses, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. And we could go do a whole sermon on the Passover we have when we go through Exodus and even when we go through the gospel of Matthew and Luke for that matter. But here's here's what kind of stands out to me. If you're familiar with the 10 plagues, there was nine plagues that God sent. And most, for the most part, Israel was safe. They were separate. God made a distinction, Egypt and Israel. But on the 10th plague, God said, okay, there's not gonna be a distinction here. Everyone is fair game. Everyone is in danger, Israel and Egypt alike. So Moses, here's the deal. If you're gonna escape the destroyer, here's what you have to do. Kill the lamb, sprinkle the blood, get in the house. And so what did Moses do? Like he always did, okay. And he did exactly what God said, not knowing maybe what all that looked like. But here's what I want you to think about. All you had to do to escape was just to know somebody that was like, hey, come over, we're having lamb tonight. Okay. You just be in the right house. You don't even have to believe. You just had to be in the right house on the right night. Maybe your dad is the one to kill lamb. You're like, why is dad killing Fluffy? We've been having Fluffy as a pet for the last three days, and now Fluffy's gone. That's what they did. So why is dad killing Fluffy? I don't like this. You didn't have to like it, you didn't have to believe in it, but if you were in the house, you were safe. Right? You were safe. That's not the way it is today. It doesn't matter what your dad believes. It doesn't matter what your aunt believes. Jesus would say to you, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say? See, it's been well said God has many children, but zero grandchildren. It doesn't matter what our church believes. It doesn't matter what your spouse believes, your mom believes, your kid believes. What do you believe about this one they call Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Do you say like Peter, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God, you are the Messiah, you're the one who came, who died, who lived the life I couldn't live, who died on a cross in my place for my sins, who was resurrected and is coming again in glory. That's who I, what I believe. If that's not what you believe, then you don't have a saving faith. You may believe about that or that's what my church believes, that's what my mom believes. No, no, you need a saving faith. We all do, right? We all do and Moses had it. And because of it, he walked by faith, possible mission. Next one, verse 29. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Here's kind of the common idea with these guys, all right? right. And if you're not familiar with these stories, you can read about them in, in uh, Joshua chapter 6 uh, and, and Exodus uh, chapter 14. The first one, you know, the, you know, very famous Israelites are at the Red Sea. They're all happy. Woohoo! we got out. And then they turn around. The Egyptians are coming. And they're like, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? And Moses cries out to God. And God says, what are you looking at me for? Tell them to go that way. And so Moses raises his staff and phew, Red Sea goes split. And dry land. And they go across in dry land. And then when the Pharaoh tries to do it, it doesn't work for him. Joshua 6, Joshua has just entered into the land of of, uh, Canaan. The first city is this massive city with these massive walls called Jericho. And he's out alone and it's like he's praying. And all of a sudden he looks up and there's a guy over there. And he runs up to him and he says, are you on their team or our team? And the guy says, no, I am here to take over. I am the captain of the army of the Lord of hosts. And what you find out is this is a, uh, what we call a theophany. This is God himself. This is the pre incarnate Christ who shows up and says, This is my battle, sir. You're on my team. I'm not on yours. And so he tells Joshua, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go, and, the first, and for six days, I want you to walk around that city. Get some some priests with trumpets, put the Ark of the Covenant out front, and just walk around one time for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. And once you walk around seven times, shout real loud, blow the trumpets, and the walls are going to fall down. Great strategy. And Joshua says, okay. And so he tells the people, this is what we're going to do. And then you go out and they walk. And what I want you to see here with both these situations, this is not one individual. This is a bunch of people. And what pleases God and what we need is a, is a shared faith, it is a common faith. I was thinking about it. Who was the first guy or girl, or maybe it was a kid. It was probably a kid to walk into the Red Sea. Because everyone's got to be like, OMG, do you see in this? Who's going first? I'm not going first. I won't even go to Entibe. I'll sit on a beach, but I ain't going the water. I don't want to Get bacterial infections or something, but who's the first one to go? But see, when there's more than one person, it's like, you ready? We can do this. Is it scary? It is, but we can do this, and so we go together. Right? I'm thinking about the guy on day four or five walking around the city. Like, what are we doing, bra? We're not even allowed to talk. We're going out again. I've got my steps. We did 40 years of steps in the wilderness, y'all. I'm done with the steps. Because <laughs> Joshua didn't tell him how the whole thing was gonna play out. He just told okay, we're going out. But see, when you have this guy over here, it's like, I don't know, but I'm trusting God. Okay, I'm trusting God too. See, there's something powerful about that. This is what we talked about when Clint preached in chapter 10, that we need to, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds because of the deceitfulness of sin. There's a common faith that we need. We have to have, Right? It's a shared faith, right? So you're a college student and and on this college campus, sin is rampant. You need another college student where you were like, we can do this. You're a widow who just lost your husband and this one over here, she lost her husband or spouse two years ago. You need each other to just, it's okay. You're gonna make it. That's why we have grief share, by the way, now. If you've lost someone, to come and be with others and you can walk together with a common and shared faith, right? When, when you're a single mom and this person's a single mom, I mean, we, we can, oh, we can do this. We got this. We can come alongside each other. We can encourage each other. So when I fall, you can pick my tail up. When you fall, I can pick your tail up. When I don't have the strength and the faith to pray that you can pray for me and vice versa. That's what we're talking about. Even Peter says, We are to resist the devil so that he will flee, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by everybody in the world, that you're facing the same stuff that they're facing, and people in Africa and, and the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, and all these things. There's, it's nothing new. We need that common faith. This is why when we gather, it's just so important to gather. When we sing a song, we're not just singing to God. That you over there, you're singing to this person over here who's struggling and you're reminding them of the truth of who God is and what he has done. And you're doing the same thing. We are singing to God, we're singing to each other. We're reminding ourselves of the gospel. It's a common and shared faith. This is why community is so important. This is why if you're isolated, if you're alone, the lone uh, gazelle always gets eaten, right? It always does. The group so it's safe. And, and so we encourage you. This is our C on our, our core values of specs of community, that you have a shared faith, right? We need it. It pleases God. They had it and they did amazing things and the walls fell. And then the last one, maybe my favorite, an influencing faith. An influencing faith. Impactful, you could say. By faith, Rahab the prostitute. Poor girl's. 2,000 years later, she still called Rahab the prostitute. She did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Remember, she's in Jericho. Joshua sends spies in to spy out the land. They come to her place of business in the red light district, whatever that looked like. The king of Jericho hears about it, goes to her and says, send the spies out. They're here to spy us out. She says, oh, they were here. I didn't know who they were, but they're, they're gone now. They left. They went that way. If you chase them, you'll find them. But really she had hid them in the attic on the roof. So when the King and everyone heads that way, she goes up and says, look, I know that God has given you this land. I know that your God is the one true God because I heard about what he did to Egypt. You all that was 40 years earlier. She's probably like, what took y'all so long to get here, by the way? She was like, it should have been like a two-week trip. Well, we were in the desert doing some stuff. We had some stuff to do. But 40 years later, she's still believing. And because of her faith, and remember, she hasn't repented of her, you know, her prostitution or nothing. She just believes that this God is the one true God. And, and she finds herself in the in the hall of fame of faith, and her faith is an impactful influence because they, the spies say, okay, here's what you need to do: get everyone in your house. And put a red cord outside your window so that we know where you live. If you're outside the house, you're dead. If you're inside the house, you're safe. And so she gets everybody in her family and she hides hides them in her little house. And so when they come through and the walls fall down, she and her family are spared. Her faith influenced her entire family. They didn't even have to believe. It just impacted and they were all saved. But not only were they saved, y'all, you and I, because of Rahab's faith, you were saved. So how is that possible? Well, because when Rahab is rescued, she becomes part of the people of Israel, and she marries a guy named Salmon. He had a fish business in Israel for years and years. <laughs> and Salmon had a son, a strapping young boy. They called him Boaz. And Boaz married a little girl, a little Moabite named Ruth. And Ruth had a son, and they named him Obed. And Obed had a son, and they named him Jesse. And Jesse had a son, and they named him David, and he was the greatest king Israel ever had. And David had a son, a great, 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 great grandson, and his name was Jesus of Nazareth. And he's the savior of the world. Because Rahab, the prostitute, believed. If you think your past is so bad that you can never be used by God, if you think you've done something that's so tremendously evil that God cannot influence through you, then you need to look to Rahab who was the great-great-grandmother of David and the great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of the Lord Jesus. That's an influencing faith. Right? Just taking God at his word, believing who he is. It pleases God. It is the possible mission to have a tested faith, a dying faith, a risky faith, a sacrificial faith, a saving faith, a shared faith and an influencing faith. And that's what we want to have. Let me pray. And we'll respond through singing. Father, I pray wherever we're at this morning that you would increase our faith, that you would increase uh, whatever we're struggling with. Maybe we came in wrestling with guilt. Maybe we have been playing it safe. Maybe we don't even have a saving faith and we just need to truly for ourselves embrace Christ. I don't know, you do. I just pray that your spirit would Give us eyes, and if today if we hear his voice, that we would not harden our heart, that we would not fail to enter into your rest like Israelites of old because of lack of faith and disobedience. So use your word. I trust you with it because you're good, it's true, and you're powerful, and it will not return to you void. Pray in Christ's name.